welcome to the Commons Cast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you find something meaningful in our teaching this week. Head to commons.church for more information. My name is Bobby, and I'm one of the pastors on the team. It's so great being here in Inglewood today. Eastside, you have something really magical over here. You have new bookstores and breweries and all the fancy stationery a fancy stationery heart could long for. What might not be so magical at this time of year is the sickness. Did you get sideswiped by some sickness now that school is back in session? Anybody? No? You're a really healthy bunch. Well, my little niece was in preschool for one day. And before she even went back for the second day, she was home puking. I don't even have kids. And I picked up some kind of terrible sniffle this week and it slowed me down a bit. So if I like snot on you, sorry. But we'll always have that moment, right? Uh, This is the season of fighting off colds and establishing fall rhythms. P.S. by the way, welcome to fall. It looks like it's gonna snow this week. So keep your sense of humor about you people. Keep your sense of humor about you. So we are a few weeks into the rhythm of the Sermon on the Mount, which is as good a time as any to remember where we sit in the Gospel of Matthew. So chapter five begins like this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. The crowds and the disciples, it's a real mixed bag. The Sermon on the Mount is heard by the wealthy and the poor, the elite and the working class, the Roman majority and the Jewish minority. The Sermon on the Mount addresses all of them. So when people say to you, or you actually even say to yourself, I don't know, man, I'm not sure if Jesus is for me. I'm gonna say sit your butt down (laughs) on this mountain side and just listen. This is a sermon for all of us. Metaphors and invitations are more fully realized humanity. Today we are exploring what Jesus has to say about worry. I mean, how much more human could that be? And I'm calling this sermon Bent World Worries. And we will talk about basic birds, beautiful flowers, dramatic dialogue, and ah, bright wings. But first, Let's pray together. Our loving, loving God, what a world we live in. This week has known all kinds of stress, all kinds of doubt, all kinds of fear. And so we take a moment to breathe deeply, to settle our hearts, to quiet our minds, to wait, to wonder. For those of us who are feeling confused and unsure, will you meet us with Christ's presence? And for those of us feeling sad or holding grief, will you meet us with Christ's peace? And for those of us feeling life's goodness and joy, will you meet us with Christ's generosity? 
May we trust the nearness of the Spirit to guide us in faith, we pray. Amen. So, I've been thinking a lot about clothing lately, partly because there is a connection to the passage we are looking at today, but partly, well, because I just kind of like clothes. Clothes have meant a great deal for me in my story. There was a time when the clothing I wore did not actually fit me very well. I hid behind layers and I disappeared behind dull colors. I mean, whatever. <laughs> but then there was a time when I found clothes that fit well and helped me feel more confident. I loved a little boutique in Vancouver, and it felt like the people that worked there like really loved me. So of course, when I went back to Vancouver after being away a couple of years, I made this pilgrimage to the shop. I thought that it would lead to this joyous reunion between me and the staff. They'd say, like, look, everybody, long-lost Bobby has returned to our very hip and very stylish boutique. Well, when I walked into the store, the staff, all of whom I recognized, like swiveled their heads towards me and their fat faces read quite clearly, welcome, but also, we have no idea who you are. So it turns out that they just were really good at their jobs and that's fine. But there's this thing with clothing and it has done something for me. It has brought me comfort. When I've been worried about relationships, about my health, about the future, I have trusted a new black sweater to soothe me. And it does for a moment, and then it doesn't. In this opinion piece from July in the Globe and Mail called The Life-Changing Magic of Making Do, Benjamin Less challenges us and our relationship with possessions. Basically, Less says, we have too much stuff and we expect too much from our stuff. We can, however, move towards something healthier for ourselves and for our planet if we just work at making do with what we already have. Fix things when they are broken. Borrow instead of buy. Wear out your clothes until they are a bit more torn. He makes the case that this is a actually much more interesting way to live because it turns out that a new sweater is not intended to reduce our worry. Sweaters are meant to cover our body and keep us warm, even provide an encounter with beauty, but address our soul's longing, our mind's worry, our anxiety in any given moment, no. A sweater is not meant to do all of that. What we purchase cannot take away what we worry about. In fact, the more stuff that we have, you know this, right? The more we worry about all that stuff. So in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, Jesus repeats the phrase, do not worry, not once, not twice, but three times. And these words about worry are treasured long after Jesus is gone. And the disciples are left in the rubble of a torn down temple and mounting Roman oppression. So let's start with Jesus's first argument <clears throat> against worry. Therefore, I tell you, 
Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Okay, let's stop right there. We've got ourselves a therefore. In Greek, it's the preposition dia, telling us that this section is linked to what's gone before. Jesus has just finished telling the crowd, you will find treasure in this life. Money can buy temporary treasures, but lasting treasures have no price tag. If you confuse earth's possessions with heaven's treasures, you will lose something of your connection with God. Now, let me say, if anxiety is a part of your mental health reality, please hear me. I am not diminishing that. With the Sermon on the Mount, we are in the realm of widespread cultural worry. I'm not saying that this message won't resonate with you if you live with an anxiety disorder or other mental health diagnoses, but I want to be clear here. The Bible may not be enough for all of that. Reading a passage in the Bible isn't the cure for anxiety that just will not quit. Sure, it might bring you a bit of peace, but if you're tired and you have tried on your own to get ahead of your anxiety and it is an overwhelming struggle, please talk to someone. We have relationships with therapists connected to our community. <clears throat> And we are happy to make a referral for you so that you can get some help and support. There is great courage in that choice to take care of yourself. But let me also say, our world and the world of the Roman Empire actually have a lot of synchronicity here. Some scholars call the later part of the Roman Empire the age of anxiety. Sounds familiar, right? The Roman world also had political catastrophes and a great deal of socioeconomic unrest. So this is a text that addresses the human experience of stress and fragility and searching for meaning in it all. Okay, back to the Sermon on the Mount. The first section on worry is set up with the rabbinic argument, kind of known oddly in Latin, as argumentum a fortiori. And the argument moves from the lesser to the greater to make a point. So first, it's basic birds to make a point about human beings. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? In a world bent with worry, Jesus begins with the basics. Presence of birds, absence of barns, provision of daily bread. Jesus says, look around you at everything you've already seen. Birds are not new to you, barns are not new to you, but can you see them with new eyes, with sacred perspective? Can you see that the birds are cared for? If it's true for the smallest, how much more for the greatest you are cared for? 
Now, the Greek word for look here is emblepo. It means to look at, to consider, to see clearly. And Soren Kierkegaard wrote a whole book about this kind of noticing. Kierkegaard said the birds of the sky in the Sermon on the Mount, they are there as our teachers. Then what do they teach? Again and again and again, Kierkegaard tells us that the birds, the trees, the oceans teach silence. He writes this, there is silence out there. The forest keeps silent even when it whispers. It is nonetheless silent for the trees, even where they stand most closely together, keep their word to one another, which human beings do so infrequently, despite having given their word, this will remain between us. The sea keeps silent, even when it rages loudly, it is nonetheless silent. He goes on like this for a while. After calling the sounds of nature a silence of uniformity, he finishes the point like this. When the silence of evening descends upon the countryside and you hear the distant lowing of cattle from the meadow or you hear the familiar voice of the dog from the farmer's house or in my case, the nearby condo, it cannot be said that this lowing or the dog's voice disturbs the silence. No, this is part of the silence. It has a secret and thus a silent understanding with the silence it increases it from the least to the greatest. We know ourselves and we know the divine in the interactions with silence. This kind of silence is about not getting ahead of yourself, not wishing for a life other than the one you are living right now. It's acknowledging our interdependence with all living things. And the more we pay attention to this life, not the next or the wished for or the might have been, but the more we dive into this life and sit so quietly at life's feet, we will sense something of God's grandeur. And what might God say to you in the silence? How about, I see you, I see your worry, I know your basic needs, but do you see me? Do you see me in birds, in oceans, in treetops swaying in the wind? Do you see me taking care of all these things? Now, does this assurance of God's care apply to everybody? I mean, if you're poor, Is this message of provision for you? What about if you're sick and facing a terminal diagnosis? Are you not to worry? What about if you've done something you deeply regret and you don't see a way out? How about worry then? Well, to begin with, let's remember that Jesus' people are the poor, the disenfranchised, the lower than the low. So yeah, this message is for every one of us. And what's more, the Sermon on the Mount doesn't say we shouldn't worry about each other's needs. So maybe there's the rub. 
We're so wrapped up in our own worries that we miss the worries of our neighbors and friends and maybe even the person sleeping beside us in our own bed. Frederick Bruner says, Jesus presents a comforting command to take our eyes off of ourselves and to throw ourselves into the cause of God's poor and those with great need. Bruner says that we are, that at the very least, the message about worry in the Sermon on the Mount is an anti-selfish text. So, is there something that you can do this week to bring the worry of someone around you just down a notch or two? Can you write a card maybe, remember those? And say, hey, I love you and I'm thinking about you. Can you offer a smile or a, a hello to someone you may hardly know but you see that they struggle more than any person should? And can you take time to listen to someone's whole story and not interrupt, even if it kind of bores you or troubles you? Maybe they're just working something out. God cares for basic needs, maybe from the palm of your own hand. What a partnership God entrusts to us to care for each other as God cares for the birds. So Jesus moves from the birds of the sky to the flowers of the field. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, will God not much more clothe you, you of little faith? in a world bent with worry. Jesus addresses the crowds with an aesthetic argument. He makes a case for beauty. The flowers of the field, Solomon in his splendor, beauty for the sake of beauty. And the Greek is actually much more emphatic here. It's see the flowers, exclamation point, exclamation point. Now, we rarely get an aesthetic deliberation in the New Testament. There's a lot of talk about prayer and healing and greed and rest and sin and work, community, obedience, belonging, but beauty? We don't get a lot of language about beauty. And even in this comparison between flowers of the field and Solomon and his splendor, we have the flowers beating out Solomon any given day, as if to say, oh, humans, you think you're hot stuff? Well, you have nothing on the tiger lily in the prairie field, and that lily, it grows, and maybe you see it, and maybe you don't, but for its life, God says, I am glad for its beauty, I sing. Now, we are descendants of the Enlightenment, and we love to think and reason about stuff, but the contemplative tradition of Christianity leads us in the way of aesthetics. 
A theology of aesthetics says that beauty is an attribute of God. It's what we experience of God through our senses. It's art, it's nature, it's music, it's story, it's dancing, it's fashion. All bringing us closer to the beauty of the creator. Now, I'm a big fan of the contemplative tradition to get at the beauty of God. In fact, there were seasons in my life when I thought, you know what, I don't know if I'm going to be a Christian anymore. But the mystics, the saints with quiet souls and imaginative prayers, the mystics companioned me through hard times, and they still do, through doubt, through heartbreak, through lostness. So it's incredibly important to me as one of the pastors on our team that you have space to interact with the beautiful contemplative Christian tradition. So three times a year here at Commons, we offer contemplative prayer events. And the first one is coming up, mark your calendars, Saturday, October 19th. It's just a couple hours. And it's called Intro to the Mystics, where you'll be introduced to the wild and the wonderful works of Julian of Norwich, St. John of the Cross, Thomas Merton, Teresa of Avila. Each mystic offers something for us of the beautiful one. And you can register at commons.life. So, in the second do not worry argument, Jesus uses beauty to keep worry in check. Clearly, beauty is a big deal. Now, it's important to remember that beauty is not this, I'm gonna stretch this out, the same as perfection. Here. Let me tell you the story about a dress. When I got married at the age of 37, I wanted a dress that felt like me. I'm not one for embellishment. My style is more minimal. I like clean lines. I like simple fabrics. That's for me. So I reached out to a Canadian designer, Eliza Faulkner, who at the time was living in Vancouver. I had worn her dresses before, and she agreed to make my wedding dress. Now, Eliza being Eliza and Bobby being Bobby, we excitedly agreed to put a little color blocking in, so I had black on the shoulders and black on the back. Everything was perfect. I love this dress, and I love the connection that it gave me with Eliza and bringing it to life. So just before Jonathan and I were to get our pictures taken before our ceremony, I put the dress on, I bent over to pull on my boots, and I heard a rip, and I felt the fabric release. The zipper was blown, and no matter how hard we tried, we could not zip the dress back up. So I called Eliza, who was then living in Montreal, and after much apology, she said, the solution was simple. Just find a seamstress who could replace the zipper. Unfortunately, she thought the wedding was a week away, not a couple hours away, so she offered a plan B, find a friend who could sew and get that person to sew me into the dress. Now don't read too much into that, but that's what we did. 
I was a little panicked and I couldn't think clearly, but I knew my friend Zoe could think for me. So I called her and I said, Zoe, who do we know who sews? And without hesitation, she said, Jen Millie. So I called Jen Millie and she hauled to get to our hotel downtown, arriving with, I kid you not, a sewing tackle box in hand and she sewed me into my dress. This picture of beauty is the real deal. It's real. The dress mattered and that zipper, it broke. And friends rushed in to save the day. I wouldn't have it any other way. Do you ever feel like this about the world? Like the planet. It has a maker, and it matters. And the planet is all we've got, and it is warming up. And we are bent over, and we are breaking it. And we need policies, and we need a lot of collaboration and cooperation to save the day. Or maybe you feel like there's this idea that you have for your life, and it really matters to you, but it is not working out how you want it to. It's breaking. And you need a little beauty to remind you that God is somehow with you in all of it. Or maybe there's this thing that happened to you a long time ago, and you needed someone to see you in your beauty. I mean, what could matter more? But you weren't seen. You were hurt. And now all that you want is for someone to hold you and to remind you that you are whole and you are so worthy, so worthy of love. Then let the Sermon on the Mount speak to you. The birds, the fancy robes, they have nothing on you. Jesus says to you right now, keep your heart wide open. Practice faith. Repeat in your heart after me, do not worry, but trust. Do not worry, but trust. Do not worry, trust. The second time Jesus says to the crowd, do not worry, it is dramatized with direct speech. And there is nothing quite like dramatic dialogue to make a point. And we are the blessed ones who have movie dialogue to show us how important dramatic speech is to make a point. Like when Meg Ryan's character says to Tom Hanks' character, in my all-time favorite movie, You've Got Mail, I want I wanted it to be you. I wanted it to be you so badly. Or the haunting moment when Jack Nicholson and a few good men says or slash yells to Tom Cruise, you can't handle the truth. Or the Godfathers leave the gun, take the cannoli, also a line in You've Got Mail. Dramatic dialogue, it sticks. And we find it here in the Sermon on the Mount. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. Now, the word that's missing from the NIV here is the word all. The Greek 
reads more like this. Your heavenly Father knows you need these things, all of them. It's not frivolous to want, to need, to acquire some basic stuff in this world. But Jesus says to anyone who will listen, be different from those who build their whole life around what they own. The dramatic thing about worry is that we, if we leave worry unchecked, if we feed our worry with our fear and our insecurity, if we let it bully us instead of actually teach us what matters, worry will keep us from really living. While we are preoccupied by what we purchase, life is kind of passing us by. And nothing is actually more dramatic than that. So after Jesus says that the divine knows you need all these things, he says, but seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. In the language of the Sermon on the Mount, the kingdom is the reality that we are living towards. It's the fullness of God in our day-to-day reality, and righteousness is how we get there. And the Greek word for righteousness here actually also means justice. And I know no other way to resist worry than to work for a world that Jesus ushered in. It's a truth-telling, a power-challenging, mend-all-things-new world. And as if we needed to be reminded one last time, Jesus says again, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now is it just me, or is it a bit anticlimactic. Like Jesus admits defeat here, like, okay, you guys, I know I told you not to worry, but you're gonna worry, I know you, you'll worry. And so maybe it is anticlimactic. Isn't real life kind of like that too? So the invitation is always here. Come away from the temporary things that you cling to for comfort. Set aside the stuff that your money can buy. Make do with what you have. Keep faith, which is kind of just a fancy way of saying keep your eyes open for God. Gerard Manley Hopkins said that the world is charged with the grandeur of God, and yes, we make a terrible mess of it. Hopkins says, as we trod, as we trod, as we trod, and just as the light in the west goes out, oh, morning, the light in east springs because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with, ah, bright wings. In other words, in a world bent with worry, God has not given up on us yet. Today, may you frame your basic needs in light of the birds that fly and sing. Today, may you hold your need for beauty alongside something simple and surprising 
And together, may we work for a world that reminds us the divine is near. The divine is near to all of us. So please join me in prayer. Our loving God, we thank you for your presence. It is never diminished or shut out by the chaos of this life. Jesus, you invite us to live as you lived, not spared from hard times, not beyond the reach of temptation, not afraid even of being alone. And so we think of the ways that our worry can teach us about our needs, our basic needs, our need for beauty, our need to work together for the good of all creation. So Spirit of the living God, present with us now, enter the places of need and longing and brokenness in our lives, and will you heal us of all that harms us? Amen.